Praise the Lord. Man, you guys ready to get your Pentecostal on? I'm telling you, um, we're going to wrap up hearing the voice of the Lord today. And um, boy, I really wrestled. I, I, part of me wanted to go back and re-preach all three of the messages that have already come. Um, I, I just, there's so much that my own heart wants to chew on. Um, man, it's amazing to me how when I'm preaching a word, sometimes the Lord is saving little nuggets for just my own joy, you know, or torture. <laughs> because when, it's, when he's taking you to the woodshed, that doesn't always feel good, you know. Discipline isn't fun while it's happening. It produces great things. But while he's disciplining you, it can be very unfun. And, uh, and I just hear the voice of the Lord challenging me personally through listening, talking about this whole process. If you don't feel challenged, go back and ask yourself, am I listening? You might not be. Because the Holy Spirit is speaking, and this is such a, a moment in time. Uh, this is called a kairos moment. It is not just chronos, just not regular time. This is this specific moment in time where something special happens. It's a Greek word that means that. It's this very special moment. This is why in Ephesians it says, wake up. Right now, God wants to shine on you. Don't fall asleep. Know right now what's the right time, what you're supposed to do, what's required. And um, different seasons, different situations require different things from us, right? Right now is one of those times I wholeheartedly believe we have to do what I first preached for 2024. We have to focus our eyes on Jesus. And right on the heels of that, we have to draw near to the Lord and listen. And if you haven't felt that stirring, man, listen to the Holy Spirit saying to you today, come close. If this was just a simple yeah, we got through another series. I kind of like him talking about listening to the Lord. It's good. I got a couple nuggets out of that. You might have missed the whole point of what God was saying to us as a church. This is so important. And then it was reiterated in the word that came forward today. Are you going to listen? Are you going to obey? Are you going to step forward and do the things that you're supposed to do? Because I'm telling you to do these things. You got to listen and obey. Now's your time. There is great glory that God wants to bring. There's a, there's a time-sensitive stamp on what God is saying to us right now. And, um, and the responsibility on us as individuals is to not let what God is saying go from one ear to the other and right out. So what are you specifically doing to keep hold of what God is saying? If you haven't done anything specific, go back, take notes, do your own journaling. Write down whatever it is that the Lord is saying. If there was something that convicted you, camp out on that conviction and don't let it go until it is accomplished what it was sent to do in you. When the Word of God comes forth and there's something specific that's, that kind of stings or inspires, don't drop that. Why would you drop that? That's what we live for. I mean, that's the good stuff, Right? I could go to a ton of different churches and find any number of boring services that have no inspiration. But then out of something that just a normal dude or dudette would say, the Holy Spirit, there's some super sauce on it, and it just sparks something in you. And it's out of the blue sometimes. And you can hear the Spirit of God say, hey, and you just go, wow, that, that was interesting. That was good. Why would we forget that? Why would we move on? The children of God, the very first message, 
We are his sheep. We are supposed to hear his voice. This is our DNA. You can hear God's voice. The question is, what have you done with it? So, and then I, I think about the things that we've got to quiet. Be still. When I read that Psalms that we went through about be still my soul like a child in his mom's arms. And all the things that we have to quiet. If you haven't felt the noise in the world around you, the noise within you, the noise of other voices and everything, you haven't spent time to quiet, then you need to go back and maybe get a little more monastic in your theology and start pulling away from things and being quiet. You might not need to just listen to another podcast. Shut those stupid podcasts off. Why do you need another message? You didn't do anything with the last one. You know, so just chill before the Lord. And, and it's crazy to me. We'll do all kinds of things. Listening to all these voices, we still haven't picked up the voice. We're still not even in love with this. And this isn't just a laity thing. Clergy's in the same boat too. So it's amazing to me how it's a pandemic in the church world. God's people no longer loving God's word. So we got to quiet some stuff. And then last week when we started to talk about uh, the distortion that comes through um, the immorality and the violence, then that double-sided coin of the different things that are there. And um, boy, just no way to get around it. We live in a world where it's like covered in this tar of violence or immorality. You take one step, you get a little goo on you. And then you come into church and you're not careful, you'll let that shame of, and the stigma from violence and immorality keep you as if it lies to you. And it says, oh, you're in a dirty, dirty world. You, uh, you had a pop-up window on your computer this week, shame on you. You have no right to come into the presence of the Lord. Well, a pop-up window is a pop-up window. What'd you do with it? <laughs> oh, well, yeah. well, here's what we do in those situations. Again, there is no shame and condemnation that should be allowed to keep you from hearing the voice of the Lord. What do you do with that? Do what First John tells you to do. Confess that stuff. Bring it into the light. Crazy thing is God already knows if there's violence and immorality in your life. He's all places at all times. His little eyes are there like, I see what you're doing. Boy, you forgot that I could see everything, huh? You forgot that I'm hearing everything and I'm with you at all times. Wow. So what do you do? You have to admit it. Bring it into the light. Confess it as what it is. And then forget it. The forgetting, God is very clear. He says, once it's cleansed, I can know it's impossible for him to remember. Amen. The challenge is you forgetting it now. This is why we use that weird phrase, you've got to forgive yourself, which is a hogwash <laughs> if you analyze it. You have no power to forgive yourself. You're not God. You didn't set the standards. But what it does infer is that you have got to forget and get past the old shames that you love to hold on to. And so sometimes the distortion of immorality and violence is that stigma that keeps us from giving ourselves permission to be his sheep and to come in and hear his voice. God wouldn't speak to me because I'm bad. Well, newsflash. Every one of us is bad. That's <laughs> so funny. I mean, he talks to me. There's no reason he should. He's talking to you. There's really no reason he should. The only reason is he loves us. You're his sheep. And he wants to have a relationship with you. And so that stigma and all that junk, that's Satan's ploys to just keep us 
from not listening. And I don't like it. So part of me wants to go back and re-preach all that stuff. But then I just feel this. There's still a little bit more to be said. So that's why today. So God, what are we going to say? What are we going to talk about? And as I was waiting before the Lord, and I was just like, Lord, I don't, I don't know how to wrap this message up. Two things started to come to me very quickly. And the first, it's really the story of Samuel. And, and the, part of the reason we're going to go to the story of Samuel is because of the unique qualities in what the Bible says. And we'll go there here in a couple seconds, but it, you could go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 3. And in your notes, you could even say, all right, just camp out in 1 Samuel chapter 3 this next week. Um, but here's, here's the reason why we are going to tie it up with this kind of a topic I believe the standard that God has proclaimed for us as his people is that we are going to have a life more abundant, a life that is an abundant life. And in John's gospel where he says, you know, the thief comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I've come to give life a life that's abundant. The word there means super abundance. It means whatever the normal is or the human power of abundance is. God is a superpower of abundance above that. So think of superhero powers. It is that much more abundance. It's unnatural. That's the way God works. And in order for us to have that life that is super abundant, it comes with a caveat. It, comes, it, it hangs on an if-then balance. If it's true that God wants us to have an abundant life, then this is the way it happens. You must abide in Him. You must be His sheep. You must have a relationship with Him. If you have that relationship, you automatically begin to experience superabundance. This is not a prosperity gospel. This is a being gospel. You are more than an overcomer. You are provided for, protected. You are guided with wisdom from above. These are your realities. It is a super abundance. It never runs out. You can always go back for more wisdom. You can always go back for more protection. You can go back for more direction in any point in your life. And this is such an abundant gospel, but it doesn't come by knowledge. It comes by abiding with Him in a relationship. This is why in evangelical circles or in a non-denominational culture like this where we preach, no, it's not just head knowledge. It's what you know in your heart. It's your knower in here. You have got to have a relationship with the King of Kings. And that isn't just a list of here's the duties you accomplish. Check them off. It's not just that. That's empty if it's not filled with the relational component. Which is embodied in this hearing His voice. This is why people can read the Scripture all day long and not hear anything because it's spiritually discerned. It's a relational thing. You have to have the Holy Spirit inside you abiding. You have to have the Holy Spirit opening your eyes and opening up your ears. Or it's just all clanging gongs. Bong, bong, bong. You can't make any distinction about the words. And so it's important for us to have that connection with the Spirit of God. Which is why when I teach about behavioral things, I am not emphasizing just the do's and don'ts. That's called legalism. 
I do this, you do this for me. That algebra in the spirit doesn't work. God's economy is so different. You give him a couple fish, he feeds thousands. You bring him nothing, he's like, it's okay, it was all mine anyway, I'll give you everything. And it's like, I don't get his math. He just, he, he just doesn't work like a human. So when I talk about behavioral stuff, I try and emphasize the motivation from inside as a relational motivation. So there's, it's, it's a real tension at times because on one end, I want to say, no, look at what the Bible commands. Just do that. And then I right away have to make a qualifier. Your heart's got to be in it. Well, but pastor, I don't feel like it. Well, just do it. But, then, but your heart has to be in it. And then I'm like, ah, how do you balance this? Well, you have to wrestle with it. Here's the ugly secret of Christianity. There is no path to a relationship with God that voids a wrestling. You have to wrestle for yourself. You have to. There is never going to be a one, two, three sermon that's going to serve all your purposes and answer all your problems because you have to wrestle with it. And it's crazy. The same thing that works for this guy isn't going to work for this guy. Why? One wrestles, one doesn't. So with all the things that we're talking about, it's not just being in the service and hearing it. It's not just knowing what you should know. It's what are you doing with it? What are you wrestling with it? And on the other side of that wrestling, which is very individually catered to your needs, what, and God is the one that's in control of that. He'll visit you in the night like Jacob and say, you want to you wanna tumble with me, buddy? I'm going to knock your hip out of socket. You're going to walk with a limp the rest of your life. But your name's going to be changed. You know, you're going to be different. And for you, it might be decades of wrestling. And you might get no answers to take that wrestling away from you. My encouragement to you today is be a long distance, not runner, uh, have endurance. Wrestle. I'm mixing my metaphors. I'm a whole... This is why I don't write books. <laughs> it's, like, <laughs> it's very funny. And, uh, and, and so I'm thinking about all of this stuff about relationship, and my heart goes right back to Samuel. So this is what we glean from out of Samuel. Because I want an abundant life, and the contrast between Samuel and Eli's family and what God is doing in this time is so drastic I love it. So here's what we glean. I'll reference the key verses. I won't take time to read everything out of chapter 3. But starting in 1 Samuel 3, verse 1, it says, Now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, the priest. And the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. That's one important point. If you highlight your Bible or can make notes like that on your phone or something, highlight that. And, and then look specifically at why this is such an important thing. This is the setting of this story. People evidently did something or the situation was just in such a unique way where no one was aware of what God was saying. So they come up with this phrase, the word of the Lord. It just wasn't happening very much. And 
Visions? Eh, nobody really has visions anymore. I wonder why. You know, the Bible is pretty clear about some of these points. And uh, I want to come back and touch on each of those in just a couple minutes. But let's move on. So the first point was, word of the Lord was rare. People weren't having visions. Verse 7 says this. And Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. What that means, that word, word, is in this context, it means converse. So two qualities. Oh man, I don't want to get to this and start preaching it yet. So Samuel, the whole point of this is, he didn't know and he had to learn something. What he had to learn was, what does God's voice sound like and how to have a conversation with him? Ooh, I like that. Anybody here understand what that feels like? I want to know what God's voice sounds like. Oh, wait, I want to know how to have a conversation with the Lord. Yes, Samuel was that guy. He wanted to know God's voice and he wanted to know how to have a conversation with him. And so that's what we're going to talk about. And, and then here's what happens in verse 9. Eli says to Samuel, go lie down. And it's going to be if he calls you, then you, sh- you say these words. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Eli, the lazy leader of the church at that time, blind as a bat probably at this time, and just blind spiritually even, he was able to pass on at least this one nugget. We want to learn how to listen to God's voice. Here's your disposition. You take the position of a servant and listen. You tell him right at the beginning, the minute you hear that voice, you respond with, I'm your servant. I'm listening. Packed into that. I'm listening with the intent to do what you are about to tell me. So that's, that's what a servant does. A hireling, right? And so this is how he's coached. Um, you need to do this. And then, if that's not enough, we go further on to verse 19. In 1 Samuel 3, 19, it says that this is some time passes. I mean, time and testing. This is how we grow, right? And it says, Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and he let none of his words fail. This is beautiful. This is where the abundant life starts to happen. And what this means is kind of a twofold way of looking at this. A... Samuel had a responsibility to take the words that God said seriously and not disregard them. So that's part of not letting the words fail. But look at it from the other side too. Samuel, as he grows, God says, I'm not going to disappoint you. I'm going to come through. I'm going to prove that you are listening to me. You're mine. When you speak, I'm speaking through you. And I'm going to do things that You wouldn't get to see unless you were listening with that servant heart. Unless you had learned my voice and learned how to understand and draw near. All of this comes to this conclusion. When you do what I'm asking you to do and telling you to do, I'm not going to disappoint you. I'm going to be your God. I'm going to show up for you. And all that abundant life that you hear me say to you, you get. You are going to see what that looks like in your life, Samuel. Eli didn't see it. You are going to see it. Why? Because you know how to listen. 
You have the heart of a servant. You are going to see an abundance and a lifestyle that people only read about from other people who are sheep and listen to my voice and get to experience that abundant life. Now, every one of us in this room, this is why I get excited about this. You have this offer from the Holy Spirit today. If you learn the voice of the Lord and, you, and if you capture this sense of how can I position myself like a servant and listen with the intent to do, then God says, I'm going to be your God and I'm going to show up and give you an abundance that you are going to walk differently in this world. People are going to hear you and say, that person walks with God. That person hears God's voice. When that person speaks, there's a different kind of wisdom there. That person, when they say they're going to do something, something happens. Oh, they say the unbelievable, but hey, don't, don't count them out. Unbelievable stuff happens with that person. Why? It is not because they are special. Samuel was not special. Hmm. I'm going to give you permission to stop measuring each other by, I'm special, I'm more special than that person at least, but I'm not maybe as special as that person. Stop it. Stop it. God uses donkeys. So just, if he can use it, I almost said it, I'm not going to say it, but you say it in your mind, you're thinking in your mind, he can use it, he can use it, and you know what, if he can do that, he can do anything. And so, so, I mean, just, who cares? I'm not special. Stop thinking about it in that way. You're his. He's purchased you with the highest price tag imaginable. So that sets your value. If, if beauty and worth is in the eye of the beholder, when God looks down on what he's created you, he said, I love this person so much, I will spare no expense redeeming them so that I can speak to them. They can speak to me. We can have a conversation. Your ability to have that conversation costs Jesus his blood. You're pretty valuable. You're pretty valuable. We spend a lot of money talking to counselors at times, and it costs 150 bucks a pop just to have 35 minutes, 40 minutes with them. That's an expensive conversation, if you ask me. Then you go one step further, and you're going to talk to a lawyer. <laughs> It's really expensive. You just have a five-minute phone call, and it's $1,000. And you're like, what in the world? I, this is too expensive to talk with you. None of those come even close. They're not a drop in the bucket to the cost that was paid so that Jesus could have a conversation. Yes. He's pretty excited to talk to you. He just wants to know if we're excited to talk back, Amen. to talk to him, to have that time with him. And uh, Samuel, he got it. He got it. And because of that, we saw some amazing things in Samuel's life. So let's go back and hit those three things and talk about them in a little bit different perspective. Um, this first thing is so important. Um, when it says that the boy was ministering before the Lord, you know, in Eli's presence, let's just point this out. Um, Samuel was from a tribe, Ephraim, not the tribe of Levi. He didn't get this, like, you know, invitation by tribe and inheritance to become part of the priesthood. And it wasn't part of his DNA. His mama set him apart with a Nazarite vow. So his mama said, I want a son. 
and I'm not having a son, and I'm tired of this. She prayed, and she prayed. Finally, the Lord answered her prayers, blessed her with a child, Samuel. And she said, this kid is going to be separated unto you all the days of his life. And it was a Nazarite vow. In other words, didn't cut his hair so that publicly even people could look at you and say, man, that guy's a woolly mammoth. He must be separated unto the Lord. I think Sam is a woolly mammoth. He's separated unto the Lord right over there. That man is a man of God. God's marking him. And so there you go. So, hey, God wants you. George, razor hasn't touched this part of your face in a long time. You're marked probably. I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm losing my mark. <laughs> I have nothing to say about that. And uh, I blame all four of my daughters. Yeah, yeah. No, dude. And, uh, and so, and so, and, uh, you know, so everybody knew this kid was set apart. Now, here's the interesting thing. But do I, do I have profit here right now? Is it better? This happens all the time. You know what? It's this is a side note. You know what it's like to be a dad of four daughters and a wife who's they all got like style and stuff like that. I had one tell me, Dad, last week your fit was great. Then my wife told me I hated your outfit last week, and I was like, I don't know what to do. I really don't know what to do. I don't know what to do with the hair. I shaved it all once, and then Paige says, "Grow it back." I grow it back, and Patricia just does this. And I'm like, God, take me away! Ah. Okay, anyway, now I'm back to the message. So, <laughs> yeah, you don't get this kind of stuff at other places. I'm just telling you, you just don't get it. So, so here's, focus not on the hair or anything else. Focus on Samuel. Okay, and, uh, is that better? Okay, good. Woo! Man. Um, <laughs> can't, I can't stop. Now I'm on a roll. Um, so, this is the reality of what is happening here in just this little first point of him ministering before the Lord in Eli's presence, not even with a natural right, but being set apart to do something that really the priesthood was supposed to take responsibility for. God told the priesthood back in Leviticus, Leviticus 24, 1 through 4. It tells, this command comes through Moses. Priests, you're supposed to keep the lamp in that, you know, holy place lit and maintained. You got to do it. Never let it go out. That's your job. This is a perpetual command from generation to generation. What do we find here? Well, you're a young guy. You're doing it. My two idiot sons, Hophni and Phinehas, they're idiots, probably sleeping around and stealing money from all the women because they're jerks, you know. But I'm not going to confront them, you know. But you, you're a kid that some woman gave me so that I could raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord. You, keep that light going all night. You stay in the holy place where the altar of incense is and the candle is and the table of showbread is. You stay in there and you make sure that that candle doesn't you know, go out. So in the middle of the night from evening until morning, someone had to maintain that candle. And it says... This had been before the candle went out again. And so he's in there doing what really he probably shouldn't have been the one doing. But he's doing it anyway because that's what his job duty is. And so he's doing it. 
What's the application in our life? When you're faithful in the little things that God is giving you to do that puts you in the right place, that puts you in the right position to hear from the Lord, you're going to see a lot of good things come out of it. But you have to be faithful in the little things that God tells you to do. It doesn't matter if you're the one that's supposed to do it or not. If it's God, be faithful in it. There's so many opportunities for you to be faithful in the little things. Stuff that nobody sees. Be faithful in it. Why? It's how you build this habit of maintaining what is appropriate in God's kingdom. It doesn't matter what people are seeing. If you're not doing it privately, what you're going to see is a disconnect between the blessings publicly that you earn privately from being faithful. So put your focus, stop focusing on the externals and start focusing more on the small things. You know, the crazy thing is in most of our Christian life, we focus on the major things and feel like that gives us credit with God. I, I heard, <laughs> this is why I think it's funny when people say, well, I went to church. I go to church. I'm like, well, I'm sure God is going to send you a Christmas card and say, it meant so much that you showed up to church. Thank you. Instead, God is going, what were you doing the other six days? Ew. Uh, ew. <laughs> but on that one day, at least twice a month, I thought of you. Oh, well, thank you for doing that. I was really nervous. I didn't, you know, that's the way God feels. No, it's the faithfulness. Every single day, throughout the day, all that stuff, the little things. Boy. Boy, it sure, it sure changes dynamics when we think about it differently, doesn't it? And, um, but Samuel exhibited that faithfulness in those little things. Um, the habit of keeping the lamp lit is something that I think you should make as a goal. You can know before other people if that lamp is lit. When someone asks you, how's your walk? What they're really asking is, do you have that light? Is that light in you? Is it showing? Um, a long time ago, my dad would, when he was first, I was first working with him as a youth pastor. Well, started as a janitor. And then I started working with youth and stuff. And my dad would have these staff meetings and he would open up almost every staff meeting. And I'd say, okay, what's God saying to you? Ah, there would be days where I would hate that. I'd be like, don't ask me. Don't ask me. Because there was no speaking. I didn't know. And, but it trained me to be constantly thinking about well, I don't know what God's saying. Why? I could tell you real quick. Spent too much time staying up, playing a video game, goofing off with friends, and then rushed his classes, and then I had to clean and do jobs. And then by the end of two, three, four days, I never even had a real quiet time. Never even, had, never quieted anything. I was so busy. Anybody else re relate to that? And then when some jerk pastor says, well, who's God speaking to you? You don't have anything to say. You got nothing to say because you haven't taken any time to listen to. And I hate that. This is why one-on-one -on -one discipleship is horrible and why a lot of people don't like it. Because you can't get away from that quality of your walk with God. You either are going to have something to say or you're going to have none to say. And nobody wants to waste their time with people that have none to say. So, amen. Um, so, keep that lamp lit. And that means practicing the presence of God and staying there. Amen. The power of habit, word, prayer, worship, all that stuff. Walk it in step with the Holy Spirit. This is so good. Um, you know, one of the things about keeping that lamp lit is you don't offer worthless sacrifices because that extinguishes the lamp. What's a worthless sacrifice? 
the prophets, especially the minor prophets, would confront the nation of Israel and say, uh, I just wish you would shut the church doors. Why would a prophet of God tell the church, I just wish you'd close down? The reason the prophets would tell the church to close down is because they were offering worthless sacrifices. And what they, as how they evaluated a worthless sacrifice was they did their service to the Lord, the sacrifice, and, and yet they lived without awareness of mercy, justice, kindness, compassion, all the things that come as a fruit of the Holy Spirit. They didn't even put a priority on that. They put a priority instead on things they could regulate. How much do you tithe? How much do you go to this service? How much sacrifice have you done? Those kinds of things. That's what they focused on. And they ignored immorality. They ignored justice and ethics, kindness from one to another. They just ignored all of that. So God said, I don't like your songs. I don't like your sacrifices. I don't like your church services. I haven't shown up to a single one. In the, you know, I think that's the way he's talking. Just shut your doors. Stop wasting the animals. So when God's word is anemic and there's a famine, a lot of times it's the result. It's systemic of a habit of making worthless sacrifices. So now let's do the application about extinguishing the lamp. When you make a vow to the Lord, even if it's a subtle thought in your heart, you know what, Lord, I'm going to do this. Have you done it? You follow through with it? If you don't, and you quickly dismiss, hey, well, you know what, God gives me another chance. He's going to give me another chance. He's going to... Basically, what you're saying is, God, you know what, I'm going to say the right thing in the right moment. I'm not going to do it. That's called a worthless sacrifice. There is a window of grace. I mean, God is so gracious. He's slow to anger. You could do that. And at some point in the future, he's going to say, you know what? I'm just tired of talking to you. You're going to come to church next week and I ain't going to say anything to you. Why? Well, you keep giving me worthless junk. I don't, I don't like any of the crap you lay at the altar. It's not worth anything. It didn't matter to you. It doesn't matter to your family. It doesn't matter to me. So yeah, I'm not going to talk to you anymore. And that bitterness that you've been holding on to and the unforgiveness that you have towards this person, uh, all of your prayers are stupid too. I haven't even listened to all your prayers. The things you say in the morning and say in the night, I stopped listening a long time ago because you refuse to forgive that person and you're holding on to this bitterness over here. So the Bible's very clear. God says, I'm not listening to you anymore. So then what are you doing? You're going through the motions. You know, squeezing the beads. You didn't get that. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Sorry, I can't. <clears throat> Move on. You're going through the motions. Doesn't do you any good, and it doesn't do God any good. So what do you got to do? You got to start offering fresh sacrifice. That's how you keep the lamp lit. Um, oh, man. So now we get to the next point where it says that Eli says, ooh, ooh, ooh. Uh, or where it says Samuel didn't know the Lord yet or know how to converse with God um, because it hadn't been revealed to him. Um, this is where keeping track record maybe of what God is saying in the Word or through people who have a tested, a tested track record. In other words, you watch someone's life and their doctrine. Make sure that it lines up. And there's fruit. Good fruit. Because out of good trees comes good fruit. Um, bad trees don't produce good fruit. So look at the life and the doctrine. Make sure that they line up. And, um, and, and if you're learning the Word of the Lord, then learn it from those people. And it, look at the Scripture. Learn it from them. And, and start making notes because as you learn, here's what it is. You're going to learn 
through separation from the things you used to be. A lot of what learning to hear the voice of God looks like is separation from what you used to do. So um, think about it in terms like this. When it's time to listen to somebody and there's a lot going on, um, you have to go, uh, no, 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 look at me, look at me. And then you got to stop looking somewhere else. And so now there's a replacement theology. So now you're looking at what? Now you're looking at God. Apply that simple concept to learning the voice of the Lord. When you learned the voice of the world, what does that look like? You hang out with idiots in the bars, goofing off, doing whatever. Whether it's amoral or flat out wrong, it doesn't matter. It could be a good thing, but good things don't get you into heaven. And I'm just telling you, doing the right thing at the right time from God's perspective, that's what you need to do. Be faithful to Him. So you can do whatever you want, but if it's not what God's wanting you to do, then you shouldn't be doing it. And if you're learning to hear the voice of the world, the voice of your flesh, or the voice of Satan, then sure, watch the horror movies, fill your life with entertainment, immorality, violence, all that kind of stuff. Seek pleasure and comfort. You're, you're serving that listening process to all the other things. But when you want to learn to hear the voice of the Lord, it's through a process like the Nazarite vow. Separate yourself and listen to God. Now, and that's not always easy at the beginning. It takes time. This is why fasting and prayer, I hate it and love it. It's miserable. And it's wonderful. Because you go through a withdrawal. You're so used to listening to all these other things, but you're going to separate yourself and listen to the Lord. You need to do this. So in your life, if it's been a while since you have separated from something so you could listen to God, do that this week. Practice it. You're learning the voice of the Lord. Take out a little bit of your time. Listen to the Lord. Take, abstain from something that you could take pleasure in. But abstain from it. Why? Listen to the Lord. This is cultivating the voice of God and learning. You may feel, well, I'm not hearing anything. Give it time. Because it, it's, it's a process. You grow in it. And... Um, and the Lord is testing you. You ain't going to get away from the wrestling. You're going to have to wrestle with it. <laughs> so I love that. So Samuel learned how to converse with God by separating from the other things he was conversing with and getting alone with the Lord. The instructions that came when it said that Eli said, next time you hear this voice, go and you say, here I am. I'm your servant. Speak. I'm listening. What do we apply from that? Um, assume the position. That's what you do. You assume the position of a servant. Pride has to leave. Humility has to be the thing you're going to identify with. When it comes to hearing the voice of the Lord and, and all of that stuff, just hearing it isn't the full concept. It's having the humility to say, I don't have rights and privileges independent of God. I'm, I'm owned by Him now. So what He says goes. If he says to do, I, I don't really have an option anymore. I belong to him. He's, I'm his property, so I'm going to do it. When you begin to let that permeate your body, your mind, everything about you, you begin to hear the voice of the Lord, and it's represented by doing. You begin to do more, and that is when all kinds of heaven breaks out. All kinds of heaven starts to break out. Because that servant mindset shifts you from what James 4, 6 says, where it says the proud, the arrogant person, God's resisting us when you're proud and arrogant. But when you take on that servant mindset, that humility, that's the same attitude that was in Christ, 
who served to the point of even laying his life down. That's why God lifted him up above every other name. And when that same quality is found in us as a servant, while we're listening to the Lord, he sees in our hearts this humble servant mindset, and he goes, oh, 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 oh I'm going to lift this one up. This, this, I'm going to take him out of that mire, out of the yuck. Oh, they don't think this is even possible. But hey, I'm, I'm on the job now. They're giving me permission. I'm going to lift him up out of that. And God begins to do amazing things because he no longer has to oppose you. Ah, this is so good. Um, Petra and I were having a discussion. This is a pause. Oh, look, we're 10 minutes over. Anybody give me two more minutes? Keep going. Give me two more minutes. Five? Okay, awesome. Nobody really raised their hands. Nobody really raised their hands, so it's amazing. Um, okay. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, well, I'll skip that. I'll talk about that maybe later. It was about conscience and listening to the voice of the Lord and how conscience can come in and actually be the voice of pride in our life. Um, okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you're living a life of listening to the Holy Spirit, it's a life no longer. Go, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. Two trees, right? One tree of life. What was the other tree? The knowledge of good and evil. In your life, your conscience is experienced most often by a knowledge of what is right and wrong. That's informed. You're trained. Your conscience is trained. It's either going to be renewed by the Word of God and the Spirit of God, and you're going to learn what a healthy conscience looks like, or your conscience is going to be trained by any number of other things. Bottom line is this. Life in the Spirit has a different test. You're walking in step or hand in hand with a person, the Holy Spirit. You don't need to think of it in right and wrong. But in the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, everything is filtered through what is right and what is wrong. The result of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil is a separation from the Spirit of God. So when our conscience is either excusing us or accusing us, think about that. It's saying, no, this is actually good. You can do that. You can do that. You're not listening to the voice of God. You're listening to your conscience. And you're like, but wait a minute, Pastor Ben, you're giving me signals here that are mixed. I mean, we're supposed to listen to that inner voice. What we're really supposed to do is listen to the conscience that's in submission to the Spirit's leading. Oh, this is, this is a real challenge. Now, let me, let, we'll take it to one step more so that you can understand it maybe even better. Because some of us would say, well, the Lord would never cause me to do something that would violate my conscience. So you're better than Abraham, who had a conscience that said it's wrong to sacrifice your son. But God comes yeah. and says, I want you to sacrifice your only son. <gasps> you would never do that. My conscience says that's wrong. Oh, are you listening to your conscience that was informed by blah, 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 blah? Are you listening to me? Trust me. I'm walking with you. I'm not going to let you kill your son. Do you think I'm that kind of a mad God? No. If we only relate to God with right and wrong... We are missing the relationship. There's no freedom in that. You're always looking for permission granting or for permission withholding. That is a miserable existence. It leads to death. This is why nobody really wants to read the Word of God. They think all the Word of God is going to tell them, don't do this, do this. That is horrible. 
That's not what the Word of God does. The Word of God cues you into knowing the heart of God so that you don't have to dance by numbers. You dance with the Spirit. And the only thing you're thinking about is, this is fun. So when you think about Jesus, Jesus didn't say, I only do what my conscience tells me I can do. He's not Jiminy Cricket. He's not Jiminy Cricket. He's not that. He's the son of God, and he did only what he was watching his father do. Oh, it's playtime? Let's play. Let's do this. It's heal time? Let's heal. It's, you know, it's whatever it is. He's like, I'm following God's lead. And, and it's amazing. He wasn't caught up with legalism. He wasn't following by the letter of the law, all of the Jewish stuff. That's what the Pharisees were focusing on. Instead, walking in the spirit, he fulfills all that law. So you can't just follow the Spirit void of conscience. They work together, but your conscience has to be informed by the Spirit. So put it in submission. So maybe that will help you. And a lot of times, too, I think this is the key Achilles heel in our spiritual life. We get so hung up on what is right and wrong, we stop focusing on following the Spirit. And and we can't do that. You can't get hung up on focusing on what is right and wrong. Um. Man, oh man, that's some good stuff, isn't it? Um, So let's just leave it with this last point of he grew in his ability. This is so cool. I just love this church. I I just think about the potential that is wrapped up in every seat in this room. This is so good. Um, So what Samuel did, he was the last great judge of Israel. In the time of the judges, you know, Samson, you know, Gideon great deliverers and leaders. He was like a king priest in a sense. He was the ruler. He was the last of the judges. It was he that anointed the king, the first king of Israel, Saul. Um, Samuel was such a unique character. I mean, miracles, the voice of the Lord, um, the direction and the leadership that he exhibited. He was a mighty warrior too. This man was, was nothing to mess with at all. It was amazing what God did in his life. And then you think about all of the people from not just that example, but anyone who learns to hear the voice of the Lord, they begin to do amazing things. God's favor didn't rest on Eli. It ended up resting on Samuel. And you know what? God's favor rests on people who listen to him. Because he doesn't have to oppose us. So when you start listening to the Lord, his favor begins to rest on you and it changes everything in your world. And... Um, and what does that look like? I was reminded of George Mueller. George Mueller was a guy who was a German guy. And uh, George Mueller pretty much lived the entire um, century he was born in. He was, uh, you know, he was born in 1805. He died in 1898. That's a long, good life of 92 years. George Mueller was this guy, though. He saw amazing things in his life. The Great Awakening in Europe. So you're talking a major, amazing things. You know, he preached for Charles Spurgeon one time. Um, he did follow work for D.L. Moody. These are some big names during the time of that Great Awakening. He was part of the reason that inspired the missionary faith of Hudson Taylor that broke open uh, East Asia and all of that. I mean, he did amazing stuff. But the most important thing that he is probably remembered for in his life was this. He spent 
most of his life in one place, 60 years in just one place ministering. But what he did in that one place as he listened to the voice of the Lord is amazing. Talking about an abundant life, here's what he did. In his lifetime, he created five major orphanages. In that short span of ministry there in his town, he ministered to over 10,264 orphans. One man who began to put together a coalition of different people because he was hearing the voice of the Lord as he walked and he saw orphans all over his city. And he's like, somebody's got to do something. He's spending time being faithful in the little things, walking with the Lord, relating with the Lord. He's not thinking about do's and don'ts. He's thinking about Jesus, just knowing. And then the heart of God begins to inspire something in him. He can't talk, talk about anything else. He's like, we got to do something for these orphans. And, and so God inspires him to pray. And so he goes to the Lord in prayer and he says, God, I want place. I want people. I need supplies to minister to these orphans. And he says, okay. So he builds these orphanages. He doesn't stress over money because he says, my God's going to apply uh, supply. So one of my favorite stories is he's got the orphanage uh, there and it's breakfast and they have no food, none. And there's 300 orphans at this one house, zero food. And his, uh, the cook comes to him and says, uh, George, we got nothing. And George says, um, well, all I can tell you is go set the orphans down at the table. God's going to provide. They're his orphans. So she takes all the orphans in. They sit down. And uh, he comes in. He says, orphans, we're going to pray and thank God for what he's going to provide. He's going to provide today. So they go to prayer. And as they're finishing their prayer, they get a knock on the door. And... Literally, it was somebody who had been supporting the orphanage, and he was a baker in town, and he says, I couldn't sleep last night. The Lord woke me up. God's speaking to someone else because God's been speaking to George. George built orphanages. George was hearing the voice of the Lord when God said, I'm going to provide. George is like, okay, God's going to provide. This is an abundant life, guys. This is what it looks like. So George is just waiting for God to provide. The baker shows up and says, hey, God spoke to me in the middle of the night. He said, you don't have any food. So I spent all this time preparing. I have these many batches of bread. It was more than enough to feed all of the guys bread, all the, you know, the kids bread. And then as he's finishing, he get another knock on the door. The milk supplier in their area had a breakdown with their wagon. And it was going to take them so long to fix the wagon that the 10 little or 10 massive containers of milk that was in the wagon would have spoiled. And so he said, George, can you use the milk? And he says, well, yes, thank you for delivering that today for free. So then he delivers the milk, which was exactly what 300 orphans needed. Exact amount. And, and so you look at this and I think, man, I want to be like a George Miller. I want to be like somebody who experiences those testimonies over and over again. It's the inheritance of those who are his sheep and listen to his voice. You have that right, every one of you. So why is it important to listen to the voice of God? Because you were called to live an abundant life. You don't get that without listening. Amen. Let's all stand and I want to pray for you. Man, God is a good God. He's the good God. He's the good God. Oh, praise you, Father God, for your goodness. Thank you, Jesus. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your love is just overwhelming this morning. We just know that you love each and every one of us. Your goodness, it's hard to comprehend. It's like a tidal wave that, a tidal wave that just 
overflows, knocks us off our feet. Lord Jesus, right now in this room, if there's anybody that um, needs to have a, a meeting with Jesus, you're in the right place. I'm just going to ask the Holy Spirit to meet with you right now. If you need a touch in your physical body to heal something, I just pray right now the Holy Spirit touches your body and heals you of whatever infirmity or any sickness or any pains. God just heals you. Some of you in this room, you've been aching for a long time to have this, what we've been talking about, a closer walk with Jesus. Where you hear that voice, that still small voice, and you begin to see the impact in all of your life, that abundance, super abundance that comes from listening to the Lord. So I'm going to pray for you right now. Heavenly Father, the distractions in those lives, we ask that you just, uh, uh, just get rid of those right now. Highlight them for what they are. Let them, there be such a repulsion in the heart that those distractions would no longer have any power and influence. Lord God, if it's any distortion, immorality, violence, any of that stuff, there, there would be a distaste in their mouth for any of it. They'd even have a physical repulsion. Lord, I pray that you make a person sick if they see anything that's immoral. You'd make them feel ill if there's any violence. Lord, let their spirits be disturbed within them if they're doing anything to distort hearing your voice. Father, I ask that you give not just the knowledge, but give them the heart motivation to quiet their heart and hear you. You're not in the wind and the fire and the great stuff. You're in the still small voice, that quiet hush. Lord God, let their ears be open to hear that still small voice right now. Lord, I ask that you put the nail, the final nail in the coffin for that overactive guilty conscience and any shame or any, any of that stuff that distracts them from hearing your voice. Lord, just put an end to it right now. No more looking back. Lord Jesus, let it be over. No more looking back. Praise you, God. Praise you, God. Lord, in this moment, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to ask you that you put a seal that they feel in their heart that they belong to you. You know, I just need to pause. I just feel like this is a sensitive point. If you feel like you're somehow second class or whatever in God's economy... I just want you to acknowledge that feeling is a lie. And uh, you need to understand how much God loves you. I felt like the Holy Spirit was speaking that in multiple ways throughout this message today. And I needed to highlight it one more time. If that's you, if you've been struggling with feeling loved or special or that God likes you, He knows you by name, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit minister to you right now. And if you need it, just open up your hands towards heaven. Let it be settled in the Spirit right now. Holy Spirit, pour out from heaven right now an oil that just washes the mind, cleanses the soul from any stigma, any orphan mindset, anything that says they're less than. Um, Lord Jesus, I pray right now that the spirit of adoption pour out over them, that they belong to you. They are yours. You're, you, you are so proud of them. Lord Jesus, let them feel that ownership and that love. Lord, let that love be so complete that it casts out the old fears and insecurities right now. Disarm them in Jesus' name. Let there be freedom. Praise you, God. All this we say in your name, Lord. 
But we're going to open up the altar today, and if you want some time or some special prayer, I'm going to stay up here too, and I'm going to be praying with you. And uh, we'll see what the Lord does. But man, it's so good to be in church. Thanks for coming, you guys. Oh, bless the Lord.